Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call it? on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what has what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In the book of Romans, Paul is comforting the Roman believers with the gospel. And in this passage, he is comforting the Jewish believers in Rome by putting Israel's destruction and their spiritual situation into perspective. That's the theme of Romans chapters 9 through 11. So we're continuing in this same thought process here. In chapter 9, as we studied during Sunday school this morning, he expressed his love and his concern for Israel, going so far as to say that he himself would be willing to be accursed if it meant that all of his Jewish brothers and sisters would be saved. That is pretty impressive. He has shown that God's word and authority are being upheld by the events of the day. And then after going through all of that and putting some perspective on all that, he returns back to the theme of faith. How that faith, how that trust in the Lord unlocks God's grace and blessing. It's faith that accesses salvation. It's faith that unlocks God's favor upon us. It is faith that accesses the grace of God and his blessings. Everything comes through faith. If we don't have faith, we should expect nothing from the Lord because we're not trusting him for anything. In this passage, Paul once again shows how salvation is available to all who believe and that for people to believe, the gospel must be preached and the word must be proclaimed. Now that sounds like common sense. Interesting, you find a lot of common sense in the scriptures. This morning we're going to look at how salvation is by faith and what that means. We're going to look at how people can only believe what they've heard, what they've been told. And we're going to look at how the word of God builds faith. So with all that in mind, let's look at salvation. Let's look at salvation by faith. Salvation comes by faith. In verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession what mouth one confesses and is saved. After telling us that to be saved by the law, you must perfectly keep the law, Paul reminds us of how we really are saved, that the word of faith leads us to faith, and it is by faith that we are saved. By God's grace, through faith, we are saved. 
And these verses tell us that if thou shalt, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, I've said this in the King James Version so many years, I'm having trouble transitioning to the ESV, but if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Because with the heart man believes unto salvation, and with the mouth that man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. One of the things about switching Bible translations, you've got to go back and relearn these verses, and that involves a lot more Bible studies than we're, than we're used to. But think about that. With the heart, man believes and is justified. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. What this means is that it's the faith in your heart that God sees that he declares to be righteous. He declares your righteousness. He declares you to be a righteous person because he sees the faith that is in your heart. That's Romans chapter 4 in a nutshell. Okay? He sees your faith and he counts it for righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What this means is that when you believe in your heart to the point that you are confessing the Lord Jesus with your mouth, you can be assured that you are saved. You can be assured of your salvation because the Bible tells us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you trust the Lord to the point that you are able to talk about the Lord, I'm not talking about going out and knocking on doors and witnessing. I'm talking about the fact that you're able to have a conversation about God with your loved ones, that you're able to see things that happen in your life and attribute that to the Lord, that you're able to identify and discuss God's grace in your life, and you can talk about that with others. This is what faith looks like. Faith is believing in your heart. Faith is being convinced. Faith is trusting, and you know you have that faith when it's coming out of your mouth, when you're speaking it, when you are identifying it, and you're sharing it with others. The faith in your heart will reveal itself in the confession of your lips, and that's the kind of faith that saves. Verse 11 goes on to say, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Your faith in the Lord will not leave you empty-handed, and it will not leave you disappointed. God's promise to you is that you will never look back on your life and regret having trusted the Lord. B.M. Bogard, a great American Baptist Association author, and a, basically the American Baptist Association was kind of his idea. He wrote a sermon entitled, Two Chances. I believe in Jesus, you don't. Now, if you're right, I've lost nothing. I'll die and leave this world, and there'll be nothing there, but I've lost nothing. But if I'm right, you've lost everything. I have two chances of happiness after death. You just have the one. You have to be right in order for, he goes, I would take the two chances to one. That's, that's the purpose, that, that's the point of that sermon, the two chances to one. What if we got to the end of this life and we found out that everything that we believed as Christians was wrong? That God didn't exist? That we really did evolve from some other species? What if we found out that was the truth? That's not going to happen. I'm not saying this is a possibility, but what if we found out? What have we lost? What have we lost? What have we lost from a lifetime of loving each other? What have we lost from a lifetime of building these families and these friendships? What have we lost from a lifetime of believing and seeing things in perspective and finding purpose and everything? What have we lost from all that? 
What do we give up? What do we lose? What do we miss out on? We didn't miss out on a single thing, did we? But we know that God exists. We know that God is on the throne. We know that Christ has redeemed us from our sins and that he has rescued us from God's judgment, that he has reconciled us to God. We know that we have eternity in his kingdom to look forward to, right? Mm -hmm. With that in mind, can you think of any scenario in which you would look back on your life of faith and think to yourself, my, that was a waste of time. No. God's promise to you is that you will never look back on your life and regret having trusted the Lord. You may have questions. You may have suffered something and you want to understand what that's all about. You may have hurts. You may have scars. You may have traumas. You may have triggers, but you will never be left with regret for trusting the Lord. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That word put to shame means you were taken as a sucker and everybody knows it. You're gullible. You were taken advantage of and everybody knows it. You will never find yourself in that situation with God. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verses 12 through 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We love that verse, don't we? We use that in our evangelism. That's part of the Roman road. But look at this in the greater context. Paul is speaking about the condition with Israel. And he's telling Israel in this verse that they don't have a special privilege and neither do the Gentiles. God does not have one way of salvation for one group and another way of salvation for another group. He does not have a special way to get into heaven for this ethnicity, but then he deals with this ethnicity a completely different way regarding salvation. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, European, Asian, African, heterosexual, homosexual, Republican, Democrat, lawyers, accountants, politicians, congressmen, presidents, Governors, fast food cashiers, doctors, meth heads, fatties and fitness gurus, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You got a PhD? You got a GED? You're a high school dropout. You're all saved the same way through repentance and faith. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then Paul's going to ask a question here. How are they going to call on him and who they have not heard? And this tells us our need to preach the gospel. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I remember when I was in high school, the year was 1994, I had just finished up my sophomore year of high school, I was on the debate team, and I was very bad at it, if you can imagine that. I was horrible at it my sophomore year of high school. I won three debates, I lost 14. My debate coach sent me to debate camp. They have such a thing. They get these, I want y'all to imagine this. For two weeks, we're going to gather these teenagers together and teach them to argue. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? 
for two weeks, I spent two weeks the summer after my sophomore year of high school on the campus of Texas State University, then known as Southwest Texas State University. And some of the best minds in the state of Texas taught us how to formulate arguments, how to follow logic, how to pick apart somebody else. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But I remember one day, part of this camp involved us building cases because we were going to have our own tournament. And so we spent about four hours a day inside the library at Texas State University. It's a seven-floor building, and it was amazing. I enjoyed my time there. We're on our way to the library, and it's me, it's John, it's Eddie. John was a hippie from Austin. I don't know what I was. Eddie was a first-generation American who lived in Mercedes, Texas. And then I can't remember her name. We'll call her Jill. Jill was from Round Rock, went to high school at a private Catholic high school. Her parents were, they would not let her watch television. She read books. She was able to watch things on VHS after it had met their standard. I mean, she was what we would call sheltered. Uh, she wore her rosary. I mean, was a very devout Catholic. And this, the four of us, I mean, this, you talk about a ragtag group. We, we, we were quite the group. And we're walking to the Texas State University Library, and there's a group of anarchists, the Student Anarchist Union. There was like a group of students on campus that had an anarchy student union, something or the other. Very wild in their appearance and very radical for 1994. Today, they would be accountants. But back then, I mean, they, they really looked out of place. And our Jill sees this. And she goes running up to him. How can y'all believe that? How can y'all think like that? What, what in the world are you living in? And she just cannot believe that there's people out there advocating for a godless, gov governmentless society. This just blew her mind. But they had a different worldview. They were brought up with a different upbringing than she was. And she was brought up with a different upbringing than them. And, of course, we all think that the world's about to end. Like, uh-oh. Jill's upset the anarchists. We're all about to die. They turned out to be glad to have the conversation. And it turned out to be a pretty good exercise for all of us. But Jill's question, I'll never forget that. How can you think that way? And have you ever seen somebody in public, online, on social media, on Fox News or CNN, and you're thinking, how can they think that way? How can they see the world like that? How can they think that that's a good way to live? Well, because they haven't seen the other side of it. They haven't seen it from our perspective, and we haven't seen it from their perspective. We want to know how people can live in a godless world in their mind where there being no God, there being no afterlife, there being no hope beyond this life. How do you live like that? Because they haven't heard the alternative. How do we expect people to call upon the Lord if they do not know him? How do we expect people to know the Lord if they've never heard of him. Why do we expect people of other cultures and worldviews to just get it together, believe in Jesus, and to get it together like we've got it together if they've never heard of him? If they've never heard our teaching, if they've never heard our word? I don't care if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or something in between. People will not call upon the Lord if they don't believe in him. And people will not believe in him unless they hear about him. And they will not hear about him if no one preaches to them. We look at 
you know, Texans have a tendency to look at every other state in the union and go, how can they be so weird? We've never spoke to them. We've never talked to them. We just go out there and tell everybody how we're better, but we never talk to anybody. If no one preaches, no one's going to hear. And if no one hears, no one's going to believe. And if no one believes, no one's going to be saved. It's our job as a church and as individuals to proclaim the gospel in our society. There are certain pundits you see go on Fox News, you know what they're going to talk about. You know where they're going with this. You know what angle they're going to take on the story. If you were to go on Fox News, everybody should know what angle you were taking with the story, and it should be the gospel. When Leland Acker goes to speak publicly in Brown County, everybody ought to know that somewhere in this there's going to be the gospel. We, we should know what Leland is going to stand for. Any representative of LifePoint Baptist Church, when you stand before people and speak, they ought to know what take you're going to take on things. And it needs to be the gospel. It is our job as a church and individuals to proclaim the gospel in our society. And verse 15 goes on to say, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are those who preach the gospel going to preach the gospel unless they are sent? And what does it mean to be sent? It means to be sent. I don't know how much more we can boil the language down. But it means to be sent. It means to be supported. It means to be backed up. How did the Apostle Paul accomplish his ministry? He accomplished his ministry because he was sent. The church at Antioch sent them out. And the churches he started provided him with his, necess with his necessities. The people at Antioch, those members of Antioch, when the Bible in, in Acts chapter 13 says he placed his hand, they, they placed their hands on them and prayed over them and then they sent them out. It doesn't mean they told them just to get out of here. They gave them provisions. They gave them prayers. They gave them support. They backed them up and they sent them out. I mean, isn't it interesting how Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch and they go and they get on a ship? Ship rides weren't free back then. Where did they get the money for the ship ride? They were sent. They were supported. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in the scriptures. He talks about how the Philippians ministered to him out of their poverty. He talks about how he was gathering the, the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. There was provision. There was being sent. The purpose of the offering plate, the purpose of the church, is to finance the ministry of the gospel. That's why I put the money in the offering plate. It's why the church sends money to missionaries. It's why our association, which funds missionaries, collects offerings from its member churches. That's, that's what we do. That's why we do what we do. We put money in the offering plate, not that we can build a bigger building. The building is a tool. We needed the building. We put money in the offering plate, not so that the pastor can... Well, I can't even talk about driving Cadillacs anymore. We put money in the offering plate. Not that the pastor can drive a Ferrari. I don't think anybody's going to buy one of those. I think we're safe there. Okay. We put money in the offering plate. Not to do all these different... The, the money that gets put in the offering plate is to fund the ministry of the gospel. It is to make sure the resources are there to spread the gospel. Both locally and throughout the world. This is why we investigated the opportunity of sponsoring the mission in Barstow, California, of sending a missionary to take over that church who would lead that church through a time of revival to prevent that church from closing its doors. 
our, our shortcoming in that was we were unable to find a man who would answer the call to go to Barstow, California. And, and this, this, is, this is upsetting to me. This is upsetting to me because as I'm out talking with people, asking about who may feel led to go or who we can send, you know the number one pushback I got on that? Leland, no one wants to go to California. Now, I can understand not wanting to go to Barstow. I mean, it's, it's, it's a desert town. It is what it is. Um, but nobody wants to go to California. There's Democrats in Texas out there. Like, may God forgive us. The Apostle Paul went to Rome where they were feeding people to the lions for public entertainment. And 21st century Christians are afraid of Democrats? That's, a, that's, 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 that's horrible. I don't mean to pick on California. I'm so sorry. But we look at the blue states like they've got third eyes to the point that if, if you meet a Californian, they almost apologize for having been a Californian. That's messed up. But you look at Detroit. You look at Chicago. You look at New York. And we're not willing to send missionaries, and missionaries aren't willing to go. And then we're surprised that they're not calling upon the name of the Lord and having a revival up there? There's a cause and effect issue here. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they going to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? What we do as a church should be about spreading and promoting the gospel. The culture war has come to Brown County. And there are those who want to wage the culture war right here. I don't know why. What I do know is if we're going to be effective, we will take this opportunity not to oppose what's being introduced, but rather to redirect the attention back to the gospel. How Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Because we're not against people. We love people. We want to see people redeemed. It's about the preaching of the gospel. And we don't allow ourselves to be discouraged by the results or the lack thereof. If we were able to send a missionary to Barstow and he was, he was only able to get five to ten people to show up on Sunday morning, we don't get discouraged by that. Because the scripture says, who has believed our report? Who has believed what we, the words that we have spoken? Who has believed the gospel that we have preached? We know the vast majority of the world will reject the gospel. We're looking for those who will repent and believe. And the way we find them is we preach the gospel to everybody. We don't try to identify who's going to believe. We just preach the gospel to everybody. I work for State Farm. <clears throat> I'm supposed to make 40 calls a day trying to sell people insurance. How many of y'all like receiving those calls? How many of y'all are hoping that when we dismiss today, your phone will go off and there'll be a guy saying, hey, I'd like to run an auto insurance quote for you. How many of y'all want that phone call? Not a single one of you. 
How many people do you think I talk to on a daily basis that are glad I called? Most of them don't even answer the phone. It's just, it goes straight to voicemail. It's like, okay, I'll send them a text. But you make the 40 calls because somewhere out there, somebody just got their renewal and their, and their auto insurance doubled. Y'all ever gotten that letter? Make you happy? What if you got that letter and then somebody called right after that and said, hey, I, I might be able to save you some money. You gonna talk to them? We make those 40 calls a day and my workload's light. A lot of offices require their people to make 100 calls a day. <clears throat> but out of those 40 calls, somebody's gonna say, yeah, I need to talk about this. We do it for insurance. That's what's been so convicting on me lately is you look at all the businesses in the world, in the country, and how they're willing to go out and be rejected. Insurance agents are willing to go out and be rejected. Financial services representatives are willing to go out and be rejected. Um, construction contractors trying to sell their labor to build houses and remodel houses are going to see themselves rejected. Real estate agents, teachers, teachers. You go in there and you want to like, mold these young minds and, and, and impart hope and knowledge and wisdom into them and, and the kids just want to play on their phones and ignore you. And then they go home and tell your, their mamas that you did something bad to them and then their mamas show up. You know, but you got that. And, and no child left behind. We don't write kids off. But you do have those kids that just really cling on to what you're teaching and, and they just light up and, and the concepts snap. And when, you, when, that, when that child when that light bulb comes on and all of a sudden they're interested in what you're teaching, is that not an inspiring moment? Does that not keep you going? I was looking for my daughter for validation on that, but she's teaching. Um, well, okay, if we can do that as teachers, if we can do that as, as real estate agents, as insurance agents, as healthcare professionals, as contractors, as bankers, why are we not willing to do that for the sake of the gospel? We don't let ourselves be discouraged by the results or the lack thereof. Verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? We need to preach the gospel. And finally, we see that it's the word of God that builds faith. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What builds faith is the word of God. This is what the spirit will use to convert the soul and to bring the sinner to repentance, faith, and thus salvation. People are not going to believe because I've got a great presentation because I don't. People are not going to believe because we're coming up with a cooler way to present the gospel to them. That's, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. We, over the past 30 years, we have totally changed church. We have taken it from hymns and pews and King James Bibles to projection screens, rock concerts, smoke screens, laser light shows, coffee bar in the foyer. And I, well, I don't mean like a coffee pot. I mean like you can go up there and order a triple latte with, uh, with non-fat skim fake milk with uh, chocolate sprinkles. There, there, are churches, there are churches that have Subway franchises inside. Like you can walk out of the sanctuary, walk over to the subway counter and order a, a, a Black Forest ham with pepper jack cheese. I mean, we've done everything we can to change the presentation. Yet, there is not a single county in North America 
that has more people in church today than it had back in 1990. The coffee bar, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, you know, I'm not trying to be old man, get off my lawn. I'm just saying the presentation, it's not the presentation that, that wins. It's the word of God. That's what it's about. And if you already know the Lord is your Savior, it's the word of God that builds your faith. It's going back into these scriptures and studying the gospel that deepens your understanding of it. See, people won't believe us. People are not going to believe me. But they may believe God. So we give them God's word. So in Romans chapter 10 this morning, we see that it's faith that saves. We see that in order to have faith, in order to believe the gospel, people need to hear the gospel. So we see the need to preach the gospel. And we see that it's the word that all this is built on that builds faith. So the questions are, do you believe God? Do you trust in his salvation? Are you saved? And do you want to see others saved? If so, then let's spread the gospel. Let's stand. We'll have our hymn of invitation.